you don't have a Bible, by the way, if you don't have a Bible, go ahead and hold your hand up. Some of our people will hand you a Bible. And we're going to be looking at Matthew 6 this morning and the issue about fasting. And one of the things we've been learning about through the Sermon on the Mount is what discipleship looks like. And it's been very humbling at times. And, and as I studied for this, I felt really humbled by this because of just certain things in my own heart and life. Um, it's really crucial that we understand that Jesus is leading us into a right relationship with God and with others, and that those relations are deepened through the knowledge of him, an experiential knowledge. Because one of the New Testament foundations is that we have a faith that works through love. And along with that, there's an obedience of faith. So whether there's a trust and love and obedience, it's all about relational terms rather than functional terms. And that's really crucial that we grab that and hold on to that as we're reading through the Sermon on the Mount. Because this was a message to disciples. So if you're here this morning and you really don't know what it is like to follow Jesus, kind of listen in and catch this because the, what Jesus is doing is teaching disciples how to follow him, how to do what he's doing. And so um, as we do that, as we go forward into this unfamiliar topic of fasting, I think it'll be instructional, I think it'll be helpful, but it will also challenge us as Westerners. So let's go ahead and open up to Matthew chapter 6. And we're going to start in verse 16 of Matthew 6. In fact, let me get my glasses out so I can read. So, Jesus says, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites, with a sad countenance, for they disfigure their faces, that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head, wash your face, so that you do not appear to be men, to, do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. Now, Pastor Brian, for the last three weeks, has been going through. Uh, the, the subject of prayer and what that looks like and how that functions in our life and how that functions with God and how it functions in reaching out to other people in that way. So this morning is really just a fourth installment of that series because really as you look through scripture, fasting is really never separated from prayer. So I'm just going to go through a quick overview of these verses and then with some background and then we'll dig a little deeper with the time that's left here. So originally... Uh, God, through the law, required only one fast a year, which was on the Day of Atonement. And the expression used there uh, in, during the Day of Atonement in the Hebrew Scriptures meant to deny yourselves or humble your souls, indicating that in addition to fasting, the people were to demonstrate a humbling of their souls by wearing sackcloth, burlap sackcloth, not exactly a fashion statement, but it was a statement of what was going on, hopefully, internally, to be grieved over their sins, to mourn their sins, and praying on that Day of Atonement. Uh, 
But as time passed, um, fast multiplied for a, a number of legitimate purposes, such as a sign of repentance, seeking God's mercy, and then certain days of the year became regular days of fasting. Now, in Jesus' day, fasting twice a week among certain religious groups was a requirement. And thus, Jesus and his disciples faced an accusation of not really truly being righteous because his disciples were not fasting. But Jesus turns this around, and with an analogy of a wedding party, that when the, bride, when the bridegroom's around, people are feasting and celebrating, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. right, okay, good deal, you're with me. <laughs> but he's also intimating here that he was this bridegroom. This was a time to celebrate. Jesus is saying this is a time of the king and the kingdom coming and being present. But Jesus said also when he leaves, or like when the bridegroom leaves, then his disciples would fast, right? But So in verse 16, he condemns the practice of hypocritical fasting by the religious leaders of whom were challenging him since they were fasting with the intention of getting recognition from the people. In verse 17, when he says putting on oil on your head, washing your face, this kind of anointing and washing wasn't religious, but really to signify preparation to enjoy life, to get out there and, and present and be just normal. Similar to the expression in Ecclesiastes, where the writer says, go eat your food with gladness and drink your wine with a joyful heart, for it is now that God favors what you do. Always be clothed in white, and always anoint your head with oil. Now in verses 16 and 17, Jesus uses the phrase, when you fast, intimating that a normal action for a disciple is to fast, just as a normal action for a disciple is to pray. Now later on, in the book of Matthew, Jesus will make a statement that to be a disciple or to be his followers means to take up our cross and follow him. Now, part of the normal human existence, apart from the power of spiritual disciplines, is that you eat. If there's a surety of what you're going to do later today, you're going to eat. And Ten years from now, whatever that day looks like, one of the things that probably you will do for sure that you can guarantee is that you will eat. So the normal part of our human existence, just apart from a God, is that we eat and we depend on ourselves or other for sources of life. But Jesus is saying being a disciple of his is having his life in us that brings us closer to a place of absolute dependence on him for everything in our life. Thus, prayer and fasting is a way of denying ourselves, like Jesus says, to deny yourself, take up your cross. It's a humbling of our souls as actions of worship to him. It demonstrates that I am absolutely dependent on you for everything, including what I eat every day. So, I think it's important that I kind of define fasting, and that fasting means this in the Greek and in the Hebrew, don't eat. Isn't that deep? I mean, does that just deep, does that just like go deep into the Hebrew scriptures or Greek? 
It simply means don't eat. And in fact, most of the time when you see the term fasting, it's a complete denial of having normal food. Only once, and this is in the book of Daniel, does it, does it talk about a partial fast. And this is with Daniel when he has this vision from God. He decides not to drink wine or eat meat or have any pleasant delicacies. He's just eating basic water and bread. That's the only time. Now, I think we've given Western definitions to this term, like we're going to fast TV or other forms of entertainment. We're going to fast the internet, and you can add whatever you want to that. But honestly, people around the world fast for various reasons. However, it always involves denying food. Now, during Jesus' day, there was a lot of diversity. There was less diversity of food, and certainly not nearly as plentiful as we have it today, at least in our little part of the world. Would you agree with that? Just studying history. Now, in general, rather than not having enough to eat, we as Americans wrestle with overeating, gluttony. I mean, any study, large studies, you can see that that's, we, we struggle with being overweight. So the disciples of Jesus' day, in general, ate to live. We struggle with, many times, living to eat. See how this is getting already heavy? <laughs> That's why I get these tough ones sometimes, so that you can abuse me rather than Brian, Pastor Brian. No, that's not true. I'm just, I'm just messing. But this is a hard subject. It's an unfamiliar territory. Um, I think it'd be good that we take a little time to see what fasting looked like in the lives of God's people through Scripture real quick. So um, let's go ahead and pull that slide up if we've got it. Oh, great. It's not on that screen, so I'm looking at the wrong screen. Okay. So these are examples of when fasting occurred with prayer, times of prayer. National emergencies, such as an attack from enemies from outside Israel, or a time of drought, uh, a time of uh, plague, um, any kind of national emergency that would cause the people to rally to seek God in fasting and prayer. Uh, times of great loss, times of uh, you know, losing your house, losing, losing a national treasure, uh, sickness and or death of another individual. Um, there would be times where they, as they were grieving or there was a sickness of an individual, a family that they knew, they, they would pray, they would fast and pray for God's deliverance, for God's healing. And when death occurred, there'd be this mourning time of fasting and prayer. Um, another time that you read in scriptures was when there was a deep realization of sinning against God whether through ignorance or disobedience, by themselves or their nation. Um, sometimes through prophets, prophets would bring the word of God and people would hear the word and respond. And, and literally, even though it wasn't the day of atonement, they would just fall on their faces and they would have a time of fasting and prayer of repentance. Uh, in one case, Josiah, uh, they rediscover a scroll of God's law that had been neglected and, they, and it was read to Josiah 
and he tore his clothes, he tore his kingly robes because he was the king, and he just proclaimed a fast throughout all Israel as they realized through ignorance and their own disobedience they were sinning and grieving God, and God was angry. Let's go to the next slide. Now, this was an interesting one, and I, 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 I'd never seen this before, so it really grabbed me. Sometimes fasting was a response to something God was doing, had done, or is going to do in the future. Um, this was very interesting, because a fair amount of the times, uh, though there was the denial of food, not eating, and fasting, there was also an anticipation to know how God was going to work this mighty work that he was talking about, or that he was doing. Um, an example would be Moses uh, in Ezekiel, uh, Ezekiel, <laughs> Exodus 24. When the law comes, God visits Sinai, literally with his presence. There's fire, there's thunders, there's, there's trumpets going off. And the people are scared, and it's a mighty demonstration of God's presence literally coming down to earth. And Moses, in response, goes up to the mountain for 40 days and fasts because God has just revealed himself in such a powerful way. And it affects Moses. I've got to go see God. I've got to hear from him. He's got something to say to us as a people. Um, right after Jesus is baptized, where, when he goes into the Jordan, he's dipped, a voice from heaven, the voice of the Father comes on him, and he says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And there, there's an evidence of the Holy Spirit descending on Jesus to empower him to do works of power. And out of that experience, it says in the Scripture, it lit, the Spirit drives him into the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights of fasting. So, and then, and then finally, one other last one was uh, in the early church, in the book of Acts, um, we see them gathered together. They're praying and waiting on God. And, and, and we don't know how this happens, but God, through maybe a word of prophecy or just in, in some general way, says, I want you to separate Paul and Barnabas for a work of service that I want to send them out on. And the people go, wow, this is incredible. Let's just fast and wait on God. Let's pray some more. And as that happens, they lay their hands on them. And literally, this is the first missionary journey of going out and sharing the good news or the gospel to the Gentiles and other cities uh, in, in the area. So that's an interesting fact that when God does something in your life or, or God begins to do a powerful work, it's good to stop and maybe think, maybe I need to stop eating and just let God work something in me. I, there's an anticipation rather than... Yes, there's times of weeping, and yes, there's times of sorrow, and that is a time to do that. But also when God is up to something and doing something powerful, that we think about not eating and just waiting on God and giving that time to him. And fourthly, the normal part, whoops, go back, there we go, a normal part of the rhythm of life in God. It's a habit that people practiced for no Nothing of those other three that we're talking about, but just as a normal rhythm of life. Uh, Anna, in Luke chapter 12, uh, gee, I'm really off in numbers today, I'm sorry. Luke chapter 2, who spoke over Jesus when he was a baby, did this as a normal part of her life for many, many years after she lost her husband. 
she would, this is what God had called her into. She would be around the temple. She would offer up prayers regularly and fast regularly for the nation, for different things. It was just a normal rhythm for her life. Uh, Paul, in his letter to the Corinthians, mentions it as a normal part of his life, as a rhythm of life. And, and, and even crazier is this story about Cornelius in Acts 10, who's a Roman centurion. But he loves the nation Israel, and he, and he is constantly looking out the, for the welfare of the nation by giving uh, tithes and offerings and helping. And regularly, it says, that he would pray and fast to God. Now, this is before he comes to know Jesus in a personal way to follow him as a disciple. That's crazy. That's a crazy story when you really think about it. So this was normal. Uh, One last instance is in 1 Corinthians 7, where Paul mentions married couples setting aside sex for a period of time to fast and pray. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands from you married men who might practice this, because I suspect it would be about Zippo, <laughs> that you would lead your wife in such a way. It's, again, it's, I'm, I'm making a small joke, obviously. <laughs> but the point is, I, I believe that this is an abnormal practice for many of us in many ways. There's many misunderstandings, there are many fears, many uh, not understanding certain things about it, but there's also... I like to eat. Let's just be honest. I, I don't want to deny myself that. But I think God's calling us into this. I think it's a part and parcel of being a disciple, at least by what I read in Scripture. So I think as we consider how to obey this call to fast, moving forward, I think it might be a good idea to incorporate just a few practical items about fasting. So let's look at the slide. And here's some things to consider in moving forward in fasting. First of all, I think it's really crucial that you consider medical issues. Now, this is an area, you know, for myself that I struggle with because I have certain conditions that if I don't eat on a regular basis, I'm in trouble for a lot of reasons. And I'm not going to go into all the details, but the point is, is I have to think long and hard of what that's going to look like. It might be one meal. It might be, you know, a juice fast or something like that. But if this is something really important for moving forward, if you do you know, have certain medical issues that you deal with on a regular basis or that you're concerned about, uh, you know, study and look up. Go to your doctor. Ask them questions. Ask people that have knowledge about these things in nutrition, what might that look like considering my condition and what I deal with? That's very, very important. Okay. Um, secondly, read and learn. Uh, there's a number of things on the internet and books. I'm going to recommend a couple of books. Uh, one's called God's Chosen Fast. Uh, also, John Piper has a book on fasting that I really believe is good. There's tons of things out there. My point is, if you're going to follow Jesus in this sense of fasting, it would be a good idea to get knowledge and understanding so that you have a way of going forward to do this. Um, start slowly. Um, I wouldn't recommend just jumping into a 40-day fast. <laughs> I, I don't think that would really work real well. Um, obviously, when you're, when you're thinking about it, you want to start maybe a meal 
maybe a couple meals. Maybe it's something you do do on a regular basis for, for just being healthy. That's great. You were already a step ahead of that. But start slowly. Think about that. Uh, plan. Planning, uh, what will you do with that time when you're not eating? Will you listen to worship music? Will you read? Will you meditate? Will you just be in silence, just thinking about him? There's a lot of different ways, but you need to plan for it so that it's like an appointment. You do that. Also, plan on being hangry. Um, plan on being crabby. Um, you know what I mean? It's not a medical condition. It's just sin leaving your body. Because honestly, <laughs> a better joke. Um, you know, that's just, we, we don't like being denied, guys. Let's just, just be straight about it. We don't like being denied what is normal for us. And so it's really crucial that we understand there's going to be an effect on this when we do this. So just plan for that. Understand that that's going to happen. Um, consider doing it with someone else. Partner with someone, one individual. That's very powerful. Partnering can be very, very powerful. It, it, it can really create accountability. You can help each other through it. You can encourage each other. You can pray together. So that's something to really think about. And finally, uh, drink plenty of water. That's, that's an absolute here. Um, I just recommend that you do that. Um, that a lot of water helps your body process that and helps the body to recover quicker as well. Okay? So, as we finish up, I think we also have to briefly face the sin that Jesus confronts here in these verses, which is hypocrisy versus authentic spirituality. The Greek word here for hypocrisy that Jesus used means to play act on a stage. And at that point of time, play acting on stage meant that you wore masks to portray different characters in the play. So Jesus is illustrating this with the religious actors of the day, the Pharisees in this case, putting on the mask of a very sad Eeyore. Oh, look at me. And then they would, you know, be all haggard looking. Maybe they wouldn't shave for the day. Not the women, of course. But just looking haggard. Maybe you, don't, maybe you just don't let your hair be all unkept. And they would just walk around and they would say, look at me fasting for God. Jesus said, well, they've got their reward. But then he contrasts by saying that a true disciple receives his reward from God by hiding the fact that you're fasting. Now, I think it behooves us a little bit to look at some reasons that drive us as people to play act. And I have a few suggestions in this next slide. Boy, they're quick, aren't they? There's a real need in us to have the approval of people rather than God. See, again, heavy stuff, right? But let, let's be truthful about that. Let's, let's honestly examine our hearts. Let God examine our hearts. 
Is the approval of someone else more important than God's approval for you? Is that what causes us to play act? Sure it does. Sure it does. And that can be at work. It can be in your neighborhood. Even in your own home. And certainly at church. 100% at church. I think another reason sometimes is, is fear. The fear of being found out. I'm really not in a good place, but I'm afraid that if I really allow me to be seen for who I am, I'm going to be rejected. I'm not going to be, want, I'm not going to be someone who somebody wants to be around. And I think we have to face that. We have to face that front off. Even, sometimes we're even afraid of being honest before God about that. So we'll play act in front of God like, like little kids. You can't see me. You can't see me. You ever seen kids do that? You know? I know that sounds foolish, but we do that. The fear even of God. Like somehow we're not accepted for who we are. Now, yes, he doesn't leave us there. He moves us on. But we have a saying around here. It's okay not to be okay. And thirdly, you know, religious duty. Well, it's got what God expects. It's what other people expect to do religiously. And so I'll just go do that. And there's a disconnect in doing the religious duty when the heart is not behind it. There's a compartmentalization. There's a denial of truth. And this is what Jesus is bringing up. You see, I really believe, honestly, that as a pattern of religious duty moves forward, it can separate us from what the true realities in relationship to him looks like. And that's where I'd like to finish up by um, looking at Isaiah 58. So um, you can turn to your Bibles there if you'd like to. Um, I've got it up on the screen. And this is out of the message. I like the message sometimes because it really brings... Uh, sometimes clar clarify certain terms, especially in the Old Testament, that help us bring it more into a modern understanding for you and I. I think, really, as we read Isaiah 58, I really believe that Jesus had this in mind when he's sharing these passages. You know, he's teaching this sermon on fasting and prayer. I think he's thinking about Isaiah 58 here. Now, I can't prove that, but I really do believe that. So, this is Isaiah, through the Spirit of God, and he says, Shout, a full-throated shout, hold nothing back, a trumpet blast shout. Tell my people what's wrong with their lives. Face my family, Jacob, with their sins. They're busy, busy, busy at worship, and love studying all about me. To all appearances, they're a nation of right-living people, law-abiding, God-honoring. They ask me, what's the right thing to do? And love having me on their side. <laughs> That's a powerful one. But they also complain, why do we fast and you don't look our way? Why do we humble ourselves and you don't even notice? Let's go to the next slide. Well, here's why. The bottom line on your fast days is that you... is. The bottom line on your fast days is profit. You drive your employees much too hard. 
You fast, but at the same time you bicker and fight. You fast, but you swing a mean fist. The kind of fasting you do won't get your prayers off the ground. You think this is the kind of fast that I'm after? A day to show off humility? To put on a pious long face and parade around solemnly in black? Do you call that fasting? A fast day that I, God, would like? This is the kind of fast day I'm after. To break the chains of injustice, get rid of exploitation in the workplace, free the oppressed, cancel debts. What I'm interested in is seeing you do is this, sharing your food with the hungry, inviting the homeless poor into your homes, putting clothes on the shivering, ill-clad, being available to your own family. Do this, and the lights will turn on like the rising sun, and your lives will turn around at once. Your righteousness will pave your way. The God of glory will secure your passage. Then when you pray, God will answer. You'll call out for help, and I'll say, here I am. I'm not going to spend really any time on that because I think this is a personal call for us to examine ourselves. I will say this, though, that God is showing his desire for an authentic spirituality in his people. And he's condemning mere ritual that hides wickedness and unrighteousness. He requires, I believe, his reality, the kingdom of his presence, and that we be like him, to be a normal in our lives. Now, what I'm sharing here is that as you look forward into fasting, you may say, well, my heart's not totally in there, so I don't want to do that and be a hypocrite. That's really, that's counterintuitive, really. Sometimes we need, even as we realize if we're not in a great place, that we grieve over that and that we fast and we seek God and we call on him. Or that when we see who he is and I'm so much not like him, that we don't lose heart and condemn ourselves, but rather in Christ Jesus, he says, he no longer condemns us, but lifts us up into his place as sons and daughters, as co-heirs with him. And so we can say, well, I do want to fast and pray so that I become more like you but by denying myself, taking up my cross and following you. So however this might look as you read and think about this in the upcoming week or few weeks as you think about this, it just behooves us to understand God is for you and God will strengthen you in whatever slight action you take in seeking to follow him, he'll back it up with his power to lead you into a place of being a disciple. That much I know to be true. Because I'm humbled by this. I'm stricken by this. I'm affected by this as I read it. I hope we all are, and I hope, hope we just grow into being like him in abundance to our community, to the people we see, and that we're